Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, good morning, beloved. How are you doing today? I pray that you're well, and I'm so happy that it's we can be together for this hour. Truly, truly. And um, you know that we take your calls and your questions and your emails after the first break, and... Um, and I invite you to call in with anything on your heart. It could be a question about what we're speaking about. It can be any topic other than we're speaking about. Completely up to you. Um, whatever is the issue of your heart. And you can always call in anonymously or with your name or with your city. It's totally up to you, beloved. So um, we'll give that number out again as we near the break. I'll give it out now. But if you call now, you have to wait on the line a bit. It, it, the toll-free number to call, text, uh, is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have begun our journey through the Baltimore Catechism, the simplest, clear-cut, question-and-answer catechism. Uh, that many people were raised on. I was not, of course. I was raised in the synagogue. And even after becoming Catholic, I've never gone through it. So I'm very excited because I'll be going through this with you for the first time. And um, <clears throat> I've mentioned that I found the Volume 3 Baltimore Catechism, which is for us high school and up. Uh, and... Um, and it suggests that we begin, that the title of the lesson is On the End of Man. And instead of saying, starting with, who is God, or who made you, or why did God made you, make you, the question is, the first question is, what do we mean by the end of man? We need to know. And don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Parents, if you're your, your children ask questions, doesn't matter what their age is, be glad. If they ask questions that seem to challenge their Catholic faith, be grateful for that. Our Lord said, come let us reason together. We don't know what we don't understand. We don't believe it just because we believe it, just because we've been told, just because our parents believed it. We have to own our faith. And, and digging into it and reading and answering very legitimate questions is the way to do it. And it's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> and so the catechism begins, the suggestion is, um, with number 126 in volume 3, what do we mean by the end of man? And the answer is what you already know, but it's stated in such a way that the focus is now on God and not on us. And when the focus is on us, it is sickness to the soul. It is a me-centered, I-centered society that has just infected our world at every point. And so the answer to what do we mean by the end of man is, by the end of man, we mean the purpose for which he was created, namely to know, love, and serve God. So many people are walking around the world, as I was uh, at a younger age, 
not knowing why we're on earth. What is it all for? We can be very busy. We could be schooled. We could be trained. We could be married. We could be uh, an athlete. We could be all kinds of things. But for what? Where does it lead? Why are we here? And this enters it, answers it. The the end of man um, is the purpose for which he was created. And why was man created? If you create a toy uh, out of clay or Legos or whatever it is, you have a reason in mind for that. You have a purpose, right? You have a little, build a little car and you want it to, the wheels to turn. You want it to run. You want it to be able to go someplace. God made us. And our purpose is not the issue. The issue of the object is not the, the issue. Um, the issue of the a creator, the one who made the object, that is the matter. Why did he make it? You know, why did he make it? A train may say, um, I'm pretty bored on this track. I have no freedom. I'm bound to this track. And the, that's the only way I can move. This is awful. I need to be free. Get me off this track. There's a whole countryside ahead. So you get the train off the track. And now what happens? It can't budge. Because it wasn't made for the field. It was made for the track. Put the train back on the track, and it's free to fulfill the purpose for which it's made. So, what is our track? To know, love, and serve God. And that is our only freedom. It's our only freedom. And we can look for every kind of freedom outside of that that goes against God. We're free to do that. But we are also free to cause our death and our misery and our loneliness, and our emptiness. The only way is to know and love the God who made us for himself. Um, Oh dear, hold on a minute, I just let go of something. So, okay. Um, And yesterday I began, in addition to this one question, um, uh, I began to read from Frank Sheed's book, Society and Sanity. And we talked about the definition of sanity because it relates to what's our purpose on earth. What is sane is what is. And if we say um, schools have one agenda and training programs another and society another and all kinds of government theories another and all to all focus on man. But the fact is, no one answers the question, what is man? What is man? And so socialism uh, has no idea what man is. No idea. Uh, people who would destroy Uh, whole civilizations or make them their slaves. They don't know what man is and they destroy him. Uh, School systems destroy children because they don't know to what end children are made. They're made to know, love, and serve God. And so when we ended yesterday, we we read the last last, uh, two sentences says, in every field... Uh, or three sentences here. In every field, the test of sanity is what is. In the field of human relations, the special test is what man is. 
This is the point at which sociology must be rooted in reality. If it is not, no amount of accurate investigation and scientific weighing of evidence at subsequent stages will heal the defect at its roots. And we continue today with a new section. And Frank Sheet says, but in the whole of our social life, man is overlooked. And we've covered the last few days. The word is man. The scriptures say God made man and made him male and female. So we don't need to say man and woman. Uh, We don't need to say humankind. It's mankind. We can use the language of scripture without any fear. We know what God meant. So Frank Sheet said, but in the whole of our social life, man as a creature, as a being, God's highest creature, by the way, is overlooked. Man is taken simply as a word, the label for a particular kind of being, the kind to which we belong ourselves, and nobody stops for any serious consideration of what the word means we proceed immediately to consider how to make the creature happier without ever asking what the creature is. The simplest example, beloved, I can think of this, is a wife who, or a husband, he does everything to please his wife, the wife does everything to please her husband, all kinds of things, but the wife winds up in tears, he brings her flowers for their anniversary, and he's so proud of himself. And, and and she's in tears because it's been three months since he's told her that he loves her. He doesn't rightly listen to her, or the wife is controlling, and uh, doesn't really want to know or give room to what her husband really is, the man that God has made him. She just wants him to be the man she wants him to be. So two people that are married talk at each other, and they are strangers, and they remain painfully alone. So to reread this sentence, we proceed immediately to consider how to make the creature happier without ever asking what the creature is. Yeah, a wife cleans the house, does everything, has supper for the husband and the family when he comes home and does knocks herself out. And he's he doesn't even want to talk to her. He doesn't want to listen to her because what happens is she doesn't listen to him. She just wants to do for him or the reverse. The husband wants to do for his wife. He doesn't want to know what she's about. He doesn't want to listen. You see, we don't know what the creature is. We don't really want to find out with the dignity, the person, the personality of that one. And so the woman, the wife, is only free when she's with her friends, and the man is free on his men's night out. It shouldn't be that way. They should give each other the respect to learn who each other is. And so we proceed immediately to consider how to make the creature happier without ever asking what the creature is. And the husband could be offended. He said to his wife, and she gets all upset, well, honey, you never told me that. Or the reverse. The wife will say, well, you never told me that. Well, 
I didn't have the opportunity. I didn't have your heart open to me. And Frank, she said, it should be just the other way around. When some new proposal is made which affects the way men live, our immediate reaction is always to ask, will it make men happier? Will it make men happier? Not according to what we think, but according to what men are, according to what women are. But this should be the second question, not the first. The first question should be, does it fit the nature of man? The total ignoring of this question runs all through modern life. Education provides an illustration perfect enough to be almost farcical. Throughout most of the Western world, the state is regarded as the normal educator. That's what it used to be, beloved. Federal government had nothing to do with it. It was each state that determined the governing of education individually. And their initial idea was to protect the family, protect religious rights, protect the design God gave. That's why the government was put in place. And now it's turned utterly evil. Schools not conducted by it are regarded as eccentric, and in most countries they exist only precariously. This situation, Frank Sheet says, is taken as normal, whereas in fact it is grotesque. Let me reread this. Throughout most of the Western world, not con- uh, sorry, throughout most of the Western world, the state is regarded as the normal educator. Schools not conducted by it are regarded as eccentric, and in most countries they exist only precariously. This situation, I say, is taken as normal, whereas in fact it is grotesque. The state, beloved, is my comment here, um, was in each individual case to regulate some laws, but they are not the educators. Never. Never did God make the state or the government the educator. It's the parents, it's the home that is the educator. I'll continue with Frank Sheed's words. There are hundreds of definitions of education, but one may take as a minimum definition one which would be accepted by practically everybody, that education is to fit men for living. Supposing you were to write to the education department of your state something to this effect, quote, I note that you are in the business of fitting men for living. Would you mind telling me what a man is, end quote? Okay, we're in the business of fitting men for living. Okay, what do you mean by a man? What is a man? The only possible answer would be that we live in a liberal democracy. Every man is entitled to accept any religion or philosophy he pleases, and according to its teaching, hold his own view that man is matter, or spirit, or both, or neither. The state does not decide among them. It is wholly neutral, the state. It does not know what a man is. If the state 
I'm sorry, if you were then to write further and say, quote, I note that as the state, you do not know what a man is. Do you know what living is for? End quote. The answer could only be the same, that it is a matter for each citizen to decide for himself. The state is neutral. The state does not know. I have called this grotesque, and that is to flatter it, to be fitting men for living, to fit men for living, not only without knowing what man is or what life is for, but without even thinking the questions relevant, indeed without ever having asked them, it is odd beyond all words. Yet it does not strike people as odd. And the depth of their unawareness of its oddness is the measure of the decay of thinking about fundamentals. This is the world we're in, beloved. This is how far we've come that a thinker like Frank Sheed should write such absurd things that happen to make sense to us. And we say, duh, where have we been? My goodness. I mean, I think, you know, when you feed your family, you feed the poor, you feed, you know what food is good for humans. If you buy a turtle, you got to figure out what food is good for turtle. Turtles, because you want to keep them alive. You at least need to know what a turtle is. You, you know, we distinguish those things, but we don't do it when it comes to man. When we plan the education programs and the scholarships and the and, and all kinds of clubs, how what is man? How do we make him fit for living if we don't even know what he is and what he's made for? Frank Sheet says, not only do they not see for themselves that it is odd, they cannot even be shown how odd it is. If one presses the point, they simply change the definition of education. The schools, they say, give their pupils a mass, uh, small m, a mass of valuable information and train them in certain techniques so that they can earn a living integrate with their fellows, and do the things the state requires of its citizens. But this is merely to take the oddness out of the school system by showing the same oddness firmly rooted in the life of society as a whole. I hope you're able to think along with this, beloved. This is just, I find, fantastic. This is how we can reach sanity again. He continues, for what makes information valuable? All we learn at school, our whole education. What makes information valuable? How can we integrate with our fellows unless they are integrated themselves? And how do we know? And given the strange things that some states do require of their citizens... How do we know that our own state's requirements are not harmful to us as men? None of these questions can be answered till we know what man is. You see? That's philosophy. Why do we do what we do? 
What is the reason for what we do? Not what do we do, but why do we do it? For what purpose? To what end? Frank Sheet said, none of these questions can be answered till we know what man is. Information is valuable if it helps man to be more fully and richly human. A man is integrated when all the elements of his nature are rightly related to one another and to the goal of life. The state must not require anything of its citizens, which with whatever increase of efficiency or material well-being will diminish them as men. And that's what's happening in our school system across the board, even in most Catholic schools today. They are requiring things of their citizens, their children, um, that, will, that are diminishing them as men, as people. At every turn, not only in education, but in the whole of life, the whole life of society, the treatment of human beings by one another and of the citizens by the state needs testing by the question, what is man? And it is never asked. The state does not know what man is and is taking more and more control of man's life. Does that seem as insane to you, beloved, as it does to me. In Karl Marx, you see this ignoring of man in the pure form. The Western democracies do not know or care what man is. They have some notion of what men want and how they are likely to react. Mark had not. Those who agree with him And those who disagree are at one in calling him a socialist. But he was not a socialist at all. He was a mathematician. Consider a problem in arithmetic. If one boy can, listen to this, beloved, if one boy can mow a lawn in two hours, how long will it take two boys to mow it? I know what your answer is going to be. The answer, of course, is one hour, two boys would take half the time that one boy would take. But this is mathematics. See, that's the way Karl Marx's mind worked. Not a sociologist, a mathematician. That's the way his mind worked. It'll just take half the time. That's mathematics. Frank Sheed said, in fact, the two boys would start talking and arguing and wrestling. They would get their lawnmowers hopelessly entangled, tangled, go off for a swim, and never come back. That is sociology. This is the sense in which I say, says Frank Sheed, that Marx was a mathematician, not a sociologist. He solved all social problems without reference to the human element. He had only to look at the first man he met to see that the classless society would not work with human beings. And that's what all those but one running for president are pushing, socialism. He never looked. He had his own theory as to what man is and did not need to look. His most notable follower, Lenin, did at least look. Lenin saw that the classless society would not fit man. 
but he did not let that worry him. The great socialists in foreseeing the arrival of a classless society presupposed a person not like the present man in the street. In other words, by that time, he thought, men will be different. Man, of course, is the socialist nightmare. You see, because you can't deal with him by mathematics. He's not a robot. He's not a machine. He's a person. Frank Sheet said it would be pleasant to be able to dismiss him so cavalierly, but it was left to Bernard Shaw in this, as in so many things, to go the whole way. Bernard Shaw, too, saw what Lenin saw and Marx did not. His solution had its own charm, quote from Bernard Shaw. If the human race will not serve, nature must try another experiment. Do you hear that? If the human race will not serve, that is to serve man's fallen, distorted, evil mind, nature must try another experiment, end quote. Remember Bernard Shaw, the atheist. We're going to go on to read this tomorrow, beloved. I'm, I'm leaving at a very suspenseful point. I can't stand it. But there's the music for our break. So we'll come back for your calls, your texts, your emails. Call in with anything on your heart, beloved. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We'll be right back. St. Francis de Sales said, Never miss an opportunity to do good. Placing a Catholic radio bumper magnet on your car is an opportunity to do good in the lives of others, whether they're drivers or passengers. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. Just click on the Promote tab at the top of our website. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com and click on the Promote tab. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road. Weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at lifesightnews.com.
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, I'm thrilled now to take your calls, your texts, your emails, and our toll-free number to call or text is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or you may email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have Lisa from Glen Falls, New York, on the line. Hi, Lisa. Hi, mother. Hi, dear. Um, how how you doing up there in New York? Doing well, doing well. Yeah. I just discovered your your program, and actually, I haven't even heard of you until about two months ago. Um, and I found you a kind of an unlikely source. Um, so, so my children had adverse, like serious adverse reactions to their shots. And as a mother, I'm ashamed to say I didn't do my due diligence um, in kind of researching them. I just kind of went along with um, what was recommended. So anyway, after two of my three children had very severe, almost deadly reactions, we, um, wow. we got a religious exemption. And um, in June, you know, June 13th, New York State took away our religious exemption. And so that's the way I discovered you, because in since then, this is years ago, so now I'm deep into um, vaccine, ethical vaccines, and, and sharing the truth about them. And Good. so in that circle is where somebody had posted your radio show. And I said, oh my goodness, what a breath of fresh air, because I've been searching, I've actually lost uh, devout Catholic friends over this issue, um, because mm. the, only, the only guidance I have had is through um, Children of God for Life, uh, Dr. Teresa Deicher, I believe it is. So I'm always on the search. I'm like, oh, when is the church? Or, I, had a, I had a conversion in 2007 in Medjugorje, and since then, um, just, just searching um, to hear, you know, what what the church, um, you know, because I, I studied, you know, properly for moral conscience, and I was very confident in my decision to, to obtain the religious exemption. So anyway, um, my, my question is, so I started homeschooling my daughter because of that um, religious exemption being taken away. She was at a, uh, our diocesan Catholic school. So I was kind of forced into it, but since finding your program, oh my goodness, like, God is so good, you you speak about these things that are, are really hitting my heart, and as well as my family members' hearts. Um, but at the same time, up here, I am the only Catholic homeschooler with the exception of one family. Wow. Now, I found a lot of Protestant homeschoolers, so I'm, at, I'm wondering if you have heard of uh, a region or a state um, in the United States, where there's like a really good oh yes, absolutely yes. Um, actually, at the moment, we need to move, but Tulsa, Oklahoma, has a fantastic uh, homeschool community, really beautiful. Um, and um, and I also know that there's a good homeschooling community that I've learned about in Madison, Wisconsin. But I get uh, calls and letters and things all the time. Uh, there's beautiful homeschool communities all over the country. So yes, absolutely yes. Are you 
Are you ready to move to find a good community? I, because New York State, they have some really horrible legislation that's going to be, they're, they're already written up, they're going to be voting on it in January, and from what I'm understanding, they're going to be coming after homeschoolers. Oh, I don't take doubt it. Our, yeah. So, um, you know, I don't want to move. I have a beautiful family. They're, they are devout Catholics. I'm one of seven siblings. My, my children play with their cousins every mm-hmm. week. Uh, we have a very, we're very blessed to have such a beautiful Catholic family. But, you know, there's, there's this crazy law that's yeah. saying if, if, if they think that you are posing a threat to public health, they could come seize your children. So I would be moving out of this almost like a force. Um, this is absolutely so, yeah, I, frightening. I think we have to be prudent and start looking at other regions. Well, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you may know, is a very Republican state. And so. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, well, that's. I didn't know either myself. I just oh, happened okay. to live here. Uh, so I, I know it. I say you may know because people know things outside. I don't. But um, so, yes, and a, a tremendous pro life. Oklahoma is very, very pro-life. New York is largely democratic and pro-death. And so, um, uh, so you want a good homeschooling community, but also within a state that is, is largely pro-life. So Oklahoma would be one good choice. And, uh, and again, you've got, um, two dioceses. You have Oklahoma City and you have the Diocese of Tulsa. I don't know about Oklahoma City's homeschool community, although I wouldn't doubt they have a good one. But I do know uh, quite a number of the people who homeschool in Tulsa, and it's just beautiful, beautiful. In fact, I went to, uh, I was sponsored for one young lady uh, as she was confirmed and um, went another time when um, uh, the uh, all the seven-year-olds were receiving their first communion, I think, and being confirmed. I'm not sure. The the cathedral was packed with families and children. So um, it's very, very good, and they get together. So there's one uh, source you can check out, but I'm guessing there are um, homeschooling associations or organizations on the web that you could begin to check out. And Lisa, I've mentioned that a dear, dear friend of mine, her name is Beth. Um, I've asked her to take kind of take charge of this research project where we want to put together for everybody. Um, and that is to get a good amount of homeschool um, resource support um, for those who never homeschool, who are afraid of it, afraid they rule their children, afraid they don't have the time, afraid they don't have the money, there's answers for all of these things, and um, and those that have support groups and uh, maybe where children get together for some of the activities and classes for socialization and other things and tre- uh, tremendous resources plus the 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 top. Uh, one or two top homeschooling programs out there where no one has to worry about reinventing the wheel and putting the curriculum together. So we're in the middle of doing that. But I I don't think it includes identifying what what you're looking for, good homeschooling communities. So um, I can't go any further than I do, except that I, I know uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma is uh, is good, and again, it's 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 all pro life and mostly Republican. Well, that's very hopeful to hear, and thanks for sharing it. Um, 
I would like to say that I went with Seton Home Study curriculum. Perfect. Absolutely great. And it is beautiful. And I did pull my son from the Catholic school as well um, just two weeks ago. Okay. Lisa? Because of other issues you have mentioned. Uh huh. God bless you, Lisa. You are living your vocation. It's there's no greater priority than what you're doing, except to love your husband above all things, because that's the only way your children will learn love. Thank you, Mother, for all your good work. Thank you, Lisa. God bless you, dear one. There's the music for our break, beloved. Feel free to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one. 5483. We'll be right back. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful, full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. We have a good 15 minutes together and uh, opportunity, if you wish, with anything on your heart to give a call in, toll free or text at one 511 5483 or email at mother at We have a, an email from somebody who writes it anonymously and says, Mother Miriam, if someone is in mortal sin 
Can we offer our Holy Communion for them? Thank you. The answer is absolutely yes. In fact, I offered my Holy Communion this morning exactly for that reason, for someone in mortal sin. Um, You know, it's a great sacrifice because you're asking God to take the graces that would accrue to you in that Holy Mass and not give them to you but give them to someone else that you ask God to give them to. And so I did that this morning. It's always a sacrifice because you're saying, okay, Lord, I I accept the loss of that grace or the lack of gain of that grace, but I really want to ask you to, to apply it to this person who is so much in need. Absolutely, yes. And of course, what we're offering at Someone in Mortal Sin, we offer our commune for the grace of their conversion, of course, that they would convert. We have an email from Jeanette who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, I'm Jeanette from the Philippines. Hi, Jeanette. I have a question regarding setting up a home altar. Where should I place it? And what's the right way to use shelf or table? My house is small, and right now I have very small altar beside my dining table, but I feel it is inappropriate. I hope, Mother Miriam, you can give me guidelines to set up a proper home altar. Thank you, Mother Miriam, and God bless. I always watch your videos, and I share what I learn with my family. Thank you, Jeanette. Um, You know, there's not one way, dear one. People have all kinds of different ways to set up an altar. Some use a shelf. Some use a curio cabinet. Some use a freestanding table. Some use the top of their piano. Don't worry about that at all. Um, I, I personally probably wouldn't put it right next to the dining room table. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you can put it maybe in a little separate prayer spot, a corner or... Um, um, uh, sometimes a hallway. If you find a more, if you're not comfortable with it behind, beside the dining room table and you find a little more appropriate spot, it doesn't have to be large. And again, it could be a little table. It could be, um, I, I was in one home. They didn't have a spare table, but they had a, a huge, um, whatever you call those cabinets, you know, with doors on the bottom and shelves, and it was lit. And they took one shelf and set it up as their prayer altar. And we put a statue of the Blessed Mother on there and two candles, a couple of flowers. And I always bring, when I help families, I always bring a little bowl um, and a bag of marbles that are all the same, not really mixed up, and nobody could tell one from the other. And so when the children do something good between them and God, they take a bead from the bag and they put it in the bowl that's before the Blessed Mother and she gives it to Jesus. And it's very, 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 very wonderful. It's a dear encouragement for children to do something good um, and tell nobody about it. If you tell someone about it, it doesn't count. But um, let's say you help somebody in school or you help your mom do the dishes without her asking or you help your your sister or your brother with something or you do a good deed for an elderly woman crossing the street, you help her. Whatever it may be, you do it, it's between you and God and then you take a little bead and put it in the bowl and, and give it to our Blessed Mother to give it to our son. It's a wonderful, um, it's been very wonderful for families to do that, but again, not everybody's in a family. You could be by yourself. 
it's completely up to you, but it would be nice for that either a table or a shelf on the wall or a shelf in a cabinet. It really doesn't matter, dear one. Um, but put either a little statue of our Lord or our Lady or a picture of the Sacred Heart or the Holy Family, something really wonderful on there. And then um, what I do with candles is I get them in the large glasses so that they're not in danger of leaking or, you know, someone knocking them over. And then again, if you have a little flower or maybe a rosary there or some people have a relic and you make it your little prayer spot. Um, uh, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, Jeanette, I hope in any way that that helps. Um, we have an email from Linny, um, and she writes, Blessings, Mother Miriam. I attended an All Saints Day Mass, and the priest before Mass started, before the Mass started, lit a carved pumpkin. The carving was the face of Christ. So the face of Christ was carved into the pumpkin, and he lit the pumpkin and placed it directly in front of the altar where it remained through the entire Mass. Your thoughts or insights, please, would be so helpful. Abundant blessings with a heart of gratitude. Oh, I don't like that at all. Um, you know, some people could say, well, what's the difference if you carved, carved Jesus out of wood or out of a pumpkin? What's What's the difference there, you know? Well, maybe to God there's not a difference. I can't say that. The fact that it's mixed with Halloween, uh, when it's truly all Hallows Eve, and pumpkins have little to do with it, um, it's at the very least uh, being placed before the altar is an enormous distraction, and to some a scandal, and should not happen. Uh, I can't even, I can't, tell you i think i probably need my friend Kristen to call in and tell me if it's right or wrong but i can't tell you it's wrong because people draw christ on paper children draw his face all the time again wood and carved out of uh, marble and other things um is it really wrong to carve his face into a pumpkin i don't like it because again um it 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 doesn't really transform Halloween Halloween into All Hallows' Eve to do that. It does not. Um, it is All Hallows' Eve, and everything should be utterly holy. So uh, I think, Lenny, that's the best I can do. I don't appreciate it. I don't say it's wrong. I do say it was, uh, I think, ill-advised to light it at Mass and put it before the altar. Absolutely that. Um, for the very reason you're writing in to ask me, it, it would have been a distraction and a scandal uh, to, to many. We have an email from John who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I am a public school teacher, and I have a female student who is transitioning. Oh, brother. Ah, so sorry, John. He says, I'm a public school teacher, and I have a female student who is transitioning to a male student, and she wants to be called by her new male name. If I call her by her male name, does this put me in a state of mortal sin? 
and am I in jeopardy of being condemned to eternal damnation? Also, I am part of the teachers' union, and I pay dues. If a portion of those dues goes to fund things like abortion and LBGT issues, does that put me in a state of mortal sin if I continue to pay my dues? Okay, now. Two thoughts on this, dear John. Um, If the girl who believes she's transitioning to a male, she is not. No, No mutilation of the body, no distortion of the mind or heart can change the gender uh, with, into which God has created them. So that female will remain a female in what she does to her body, no matter what she calls herself or how she dresses. If she's changed her name and wants to be called Jeffrey, go ahead and do that. You're not in sin to do that. You're not acknowledging that she's a girl. You know, there are girls with boys' names, you know, some the fathers wanted a boy and they named their daughter Max or something else. Don't worry about that. Don't make it an issue. Um, just never say aloud that she's a girl. Never say aloud that she's a girl. Um, she is, a, I mean, that she's a boy. Excuse me. She's a girl. And um, if someone says you have to call her a boy, you say, well, I can't do that. She's a girl. I can't call her a boy. I can call her by the name she wants, but I can't call her a boy. So I would try to, in the public school setting, ignore that, avoid it as much as you can, and go ahead and call by her new name. Um, as far as, um, let's see now, um, however, oh, this is really rough, John, because you cannot support her using the boy's bathroom. You cannot do that. So whatever you're in charge of, you, you just need to draw the line where you need to draw the line. If um, she needs you to escort her to the boy's bathroom, you can't do that. Say, I'm sorry, it violates who I am and who I believe you are. I can't do that. I won't stop you from doing it, but I cannot support you in that. Just be honest. Um, as far as belonging to the teachers' union... Um, paying dues to the teachers' union that goes to fund abortion LBGT issues, I would not do that. Absolutely not do that. So, if you cannot be a public school teacher without belonging to the teachers' union, well, then you can't be a public school teacher. All right, so you need another job. You don't have to quit tomorrow if you have a family to feed, but you need another job. You don't want to be part of that. If you don't have to be part of the union, then you can continue. So I think that's where I would stand, dear one. We have an email from another John who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I am a public school... Oh, yeah, no, that's the same email. I'm so sorry. Um, we have, we do have Christian on the line. Christian, rather, my friend. Hi, dear one. Hi, Mother. I just, I was multitasking as you read that, and I, it was my sense of it. I may not have fully understood everything. It sounded like they set the pumpkin on fire, but what they mean is they put the little um, candle, in, candle it. in the that's pumpkin. That's right, that's right. right. But they were having mass, and somehow this was set somewhere close to the altar? In front of the altar. Yeah, it that's doesn't not go. appropriate. 
No, of course no, that's it's not. not appropriate. It's not liturgically correct. That's right. Now, I know that when we have Saints' Feast Day, sometimes they put a picture of the saint or they put the Immaculate Heart of Mary, something towards the side of the altar, that's, even that's though it's a little okay. questionable. But, you know, they could have done that, but putting it right in the middle of the altar is not... I mean, the antipendia is the important thing. What's the color of it? It's the Saints' Feasts. It's supposed to be the Mass. That's right. Yeah. So that's my, that was my only thought. Well, you're absolutely right. It wouldn't even be, in my mind, dear one, it wouldn't even be appropriate on the side. It's inappropriate at Mass. It's a distraction, and it does not belong there. So bless you, Kristen. And as I was giving the answer, because I was unsure, because I didn't think it was any, it wasn't an evil in itself, completely inappropriate during the Mass, it would have been a distraction. It would have scandalized some um, and then I said aloud, "If my maybe my I need my friend Christian to call in, Christian rather." Um, so that's what I said. That's the first time I said that because you're so good about these things, dear one. So God bless you and thanks for calling, Christian. Mother, are you still there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? The, the, yes, I did. Yes. Go the, ahead. The thought also occurs to me that um, it's not like you said; it's not an evil in itself. But what we want to do always with the Mass is have nothing distract us from That's right. Christ, which is That's why, right. which is why Greg, Gregory the Great wanted us to use plain chant, not polyphony, not mm-hmm. mixed harmony, and so forth. That's right, and okay? uh-huh. certainly not what we have today. Very good, Kristen. Well, you're a gem. The problem uh-huh. is performances, and you know happen. anything that distracts. That's it. Very good. God bless you, my friend. I knew you'd have good input. God bless you, honey. Um, we have uh, Sonia. We have an email from Sonia. I don't know if we have time to get through to it. Let, let me start. Um, she says, may our Lord's peace be with you. Thank you, Sonia. Some time ago, I heard one of your podcasts, which was my first time. You were talking about modesty for the women. You had mentioned a book by Our Lady of the Mystical Rose, As I remember, I tried looking for for it, but I was not able. Could you please tell me where I could get a copy of that book? Thank you in advance for taking time to read and answer my email. Hold on a minute. I think I have that book here. I'm going to show it to you. I don't think it's still in print. It's Modeling Modesty. Modeling Modesty, and it's by uh, rosamysticamodesty.org. Um, they, they were in Joliet, Illinois. They may no longer exist. I'm going to look into that. God bless you, Sonia. We'll speak with all of you tomorrow. <laughs>